Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes family therapist and author Catherine Young to the show for part one of their two-part conversation on the multimodal attachment therapy she developed. Part two will be released on Tuesday, September 28th. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock. Today on the podcast, we are going to be speaking with Catherine Young. Catherine is the developer of a type of therapy called multimodal attachment therapy. And she's going to be talking with us about that model today. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing about it and hearing our conversation. Before we get going on that, I would like to give you a little bit of information about Catherine's background. She is an LMFT, an author, trainer, and clinical supervisor and child and family therapist. She's worked for over 25 years with children and families in diverse settings as mental health, children's day treatment, foster and adoption services, children's shelters, and youth probation. So she, as I said earlier, is here to talk to us about a therapy model for helping children with attachment challenges and their families, and it's called multimodal attachment therapy. So stay tuned. Catherine will be with us momentarily. So hello, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast today. Hello. Thank you. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Yeah. So before you hopped on, I did give listeners a bit about your background and your credentials, but I often like to ask guests when we start out. So what's your informal bio? You know, why were you drawn to this work? How did you get started with it? A little bit more of your story outside that formal professional background. What would you share with us about that? Yeah, well, good, good question. I, um, ever since I was young, I was interested in kids and I would see kids my own peers, you know, in, in elementary age school, and I would see the way parents were, or adults were interacting with them. And I would, I would think in my head, well, can't they understand what's going on for this kid? Because it seems so inappropriate at times, the way adults interacted with some children. And so it's some, an area I've always, always been interested in. And um, so I, I worked with them in a, um, a variety of settings, um, from uh, pre, different preschool settings um, to uh, day camps for kids, um, the school settings. I worked as a, um, as an aide in a class for children with developmental delays, uh, preschool children who were integrated into, um, a class with, uh, more no- sort of typically developing children. And, yes. um, yeah, so I've always had a, a strong interest in working with kids. And I was saying that I veered away from that a little bit in my, um, uh, 
um, when I first went to college, but then came back to it to get my master's and I've been working for 25 years now as a therapist in this field. Yes. Yes. So why did you see the need to create a different kind of therapy? And, and I said at the beginning, when I was giving your background, it's called multimodal attachment therapy. So, you know, before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of that, why were you seeing a need to create something different than what was out there? Um, well, the very first uh, really clinical job I had out of um, after my master's was with a day treatment program for children ages seven to 12. And these children um, had, had, uh, uh, fairly extreme behaviors. They were in their own special classroom um, and getting, you know, specialized uh, mental health support. And I found that what I knew at that time about working with children didn't fit for these children, um, which was more sort of the, the uh, client-centered play therapy or non-directed play therapy. Uh, the, the school program they were in was behaviorally oriented, um, but it really wasn't making the kinds of shifts for these kids that I was hoping for them. So I basically went out and searched out other types of um, therapy modalities and um, put together something that uh, I found worked uh, for the most part. So um, that was kind of the driving force for me it was basically just wanting to be effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can really relate to what you're saying there. That's really how, you know, our developmental trauma and attachment program at Chadak and, and my own career trajectory was the same. I think when you get, for me, it was working in what, what was at the time called treatment foster care. So I think mm -hmm. when those of us early in our career gets sort of, I was going to say thrown into, I mean, I know we put ourselves in this, right, right. right. but you sort of get put, you know, in, I, I was a therapist for a year before I came to Chaddock and I was using non-directive play therapy very, in a very beautiful way yeah. with kids with, a, without a lot of attachment disruptions, without a lot of trauma. And when I, started working with children with all of these moves in the foster care system and all of this trauma, it was almost like by necessity. I was like, well, this, this is like not working here. I mean, I, I really need some other tools. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the path I went on to. I was like, and I love, I, I, I love play therapy. I love non-directive play therapy. Um, it just was not working for these particular children. Right. Right. Yes. Cause, and that's, what's a little confusing. Cause I had seen how well it could work and I was like, okay, something's different here. So, yeah. And that's how I actually, that's how I first found TheraPlay um, was in that journey. Yeah. So you real you recognize, okay, what I'm business as usual, therapy as usual, child therapy as usual, whatever you want to call it, the way you were working at that time was not adequate. And so you set out to learn some new things. So then what happened? Um, so then I did, I did get, uh, I did do a training in TheraPlay, which you mentioned, uh, which really introduced me to the idea of attachment-based play, which is really fundamental in my, um, in my model, attachment-based play as a, as a connecting, um, medium for children and parents. Um, and also, 
um, kind of explored other attachment-based therapies and also did some training in narrative therapy, which I really, really like. And um, I just uh, then took pieces or parts or things that that resonated with me and seemed to work with the children and and put it together just in a practical application, real structured kind of way, integrated way um, to uh, to work with these kids and their families. And I found I was getting a much better result than I had been prior. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, I'm assuming you when you put these ideas together, you were not still in the same setting where you where you started with the the day treatment program or you were? Um, some, uh, I would say towards the end of my time in that particular program, I was, but then I moved, I've worked in subsequent, uh, day treatment program, which was more of an after school day treatment program for children, um, as well as, um, worked at a, uh, shelter for, uh, abused, neglected children. So I did take it into other settings after that, but I did, um, a lot of the work I did in, with this model was in a children's day treatment program, not the same one that I initially started with, but a, a different one. You know, I would like to, because I, I don't interview a lot of people who've worked in day treatment programs. So I just, for a second, like to veer off on this a little bit and take advantage of your experience in that area. So what I do work a lot with, because at Chaddock, we have a residential treatment program is kids who went to a day treatment program unsuccessfully. So I have a lot of, you know, recidivism day treatment clients or whatever the right phrase would be. Um, And um, so what I have found is and because I want to get your take on this, having worked in Mm -hmm. it, what I have found is um, it's not helpful for kids with a, t- a lot of significant attachment and trauma issues and adoption issues because these programs that the kids that I work with that go to and I, I if we have some listeners that work in day treatment, you know, hopefully you're not feeling offended, but I find that these programs are not specialized enough. Like maybe it's a day treatment that just uses DBT or it's a day treatment program that just uses a lot of other CBT techniques, but it, it, I have not seen any, and there's of course lots of day treatment programs for addiction, (laughs) but it just seems that the kids that I worked with, they would go to this sort of um, generic, again, that could be offensive to someone that works in it, a pretty pretty CBT protocol um, where everyone gets something pretty similar and it just, it's like it didn't take. So I went, as somebody who's worked within that, arena because that's one of the first things when you're not successful with weekly therapy with somebody and you're maybe going in and out of psychiatric hospitalization or the parents are wondering about out-of-home placement that's like one of the first things that's brought up that all everybody wants you to do is a day treatment program so what what do you say to that yeah. Um, well, I only can speak to my experience, which is with two different day treatment programs. The first one I was in um, was in uh, a small county and it was a county program and it was school based. So the kids came to that class. They had a specialized classroom. Um, and the great thing about it is it was a new program and 
we had a pretty low, um, a, we therapists had a pretty uh, low uh, ratio of clients to, to therapist ratio. And we could really explore, and this is where I started doing my exploring, sort of really explore um, what worked for these kids. And so that was a really great opportunity. And I think we, we had some... Um, some good successes in that program. Um, so there was no, we didn't come in with like, oh, you need to do this as DBT or this is this or okay. this is that. We didn't come in with a prescribed uh, treatment modality. We came in like, oh, here are these kids, help them. Okay. <laughs> and again, so-, so here I'm trying to do non-directive play therapy and I'm, I'm not helping them. So that's where it kind of launched my journey. The second program I worked on um, was a really great program. It was an after-school type program on um, some acreage. Kids would come after school, which had the also benefit to giving parents a certain amount of respite, which was really nice. Um, but they 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 had an attachment focus. Um, I don't know if they identified it that way, but that's the that's sort of the way they they um, they work. They had um, rehab workers who would have anywhere from four to six kids that were in their group, and they would stay as a group. They would go through a bunch of different kinds of um, different kinds of uh, activities. They would come do uh, uh, group therapy. I did group therapy with them um, and then also um, did individual with and there was another therapist too who did individual with some of the kids um, and again I had complete freedom to do what I wanted to do and this is at this point I was working with um, um, with this model and um, this is where I really had some some good successes also the program itself was very supportive of it um, had parents coming in um, which is is as critical as, you know, fairly critical in this kind of work. Um, and also um, we had regular meetings as a team and met with and worked closely with the the people who, the rehab workers who were with the kids like all the time in the program. And it was a really good cohesive program. So um, I think that it, um, I, I think that it, it worked well. Um, in well, that that's program. really good to hear. Yeah. And, and, you know, granted, you know, that's not, not specifically what you're here to talk about today, but it does sound like that was an opportunity to really refine some of your ideas and um, put together how you were going to do this work. And I'm really happy to hear too, that I guess what I hear you saying there is, with enough flexibility and with understanding attachment, you, you can put together, you know, a day treatment program that that might be really effective with the population that a lot of our listeners listen to um, in terms of kids with a lot of trauma and attachment attachment disruptions in their history. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was a good program. Um, That's wonderful. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. Um, well, so uh, before we uh, get actually into the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of your model, there was something that you wrote about early on in your book that you were you prefer the word attachment injuries over reactive attachment disorder or um, disinhibited social engagement disorder and the various other words <laughs> terms. that are being used, <laughs> terms that are being used. Yeah. So I thought it might be good um, for listeners to hear your thinking about that and why you like to speak about these some of these ideas with that term, attachment yeah. injuries. 
Yeah. Uh, well, reactive attachment disorder, um, and only recently have they separated it out, as I'm sure you know, to the um, social disengagement disorder um, and reactive attachment disorder. But um, so when I started looking, I started looking up, this is what was coming up in my searches and looking was reactive attachment disorder. And um, there's a few things that are problematic with it. One is there's a lot of stigma associated with that term. Um, uh, kids immediately get sort of labeled as, as when people hear that term as, as like not helpable, like um, and there's an expectation for certain types of behavior. There's an expectation of um, sort of antisocial type uh, behavior and, and also an expectation that it's, it's almost not treatable. Um, so, so that was one of the problems with that term. Um, the other problem is if you really like, if you're a diagnostician and you look at the DSM uh, four, or you look at the DSM, you will see that um, it doesn't really, it describes a very narrow group of people. And in the discussion, it says, you know, provide caution when, if the child's over five years old. And so it doesn't reach the kids that I was working with. It doesn't really, the kids I was were working with were more latency age, you know, five to five to 12. Right. Um, so it didn't, didn't match even just diagnostically it doesn't match. So, so that was, problematic um and again once you if, once a kid's labeled rad like that's like a a stigma that they carry with them so that that was a concern um and so um so i just you know people do talk about like being wounded or the the narcissist wound a trauma wound um so the thought of an attachment injury really just fit a little bit better also injuries um just the metaphor of injuries physical injuries is is you know some injuries heal by themselves some injuries required intervention to heal some people some injuries require inter intervention to heal well and i think that's tr true with attachment challenges attachment difficulties um a mild difficulty you know a lot of us a lot of people have had challenges in their life with their you know primary caregivers early on um, and not everyone needs intensive treatment um, or intensive support um, so you know there's just a, a range and I think that, that calling it an attachment injury speaks to that to sort of the range and also the fact that it's it's healable it's it's it, it sometimes yeah it's, it's it can be it can heal yeah yeah I think that you bring up you know so many really important points that have been such a disservice with this group of children, because when you can't, unfortunately, when it comes to research, if you can't decide on a label, you can't decide an effective strategy. And so this yeah. has just been such a mess. And in terms of knowing how to look at evidence-based treatments and figure out, you know, what is going to work for who and, Speaking yeah. of that, that is a good lead in to my next question, which, you know, you, we spoke earlier, both of us have this history of starting out with non-directive play therapy as, as the first, our first way of working with children and, and seeing that a certain group of children were not responsive to that. And I wanted to follow up and ask, not just for non-directed play therapy, but why do you think some of the other therapies as standalone things, you know, fail? What, what, what do you think the problem there is? I think the main, uh, the main problem is that they don't focus enough on relationship and developing that relationship between uh, a child and their caregiver. I think that's, that's just the main thing because that's the core of attachment challenges. And that's kind of the, 
you know, our attachment is, is, is the basis for so much in the rest of our life that if you don't address that directly, um, I think you're missing the mark for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I believe is if you're doing attachment-based therapy and using that lens that your client is the relationship, not the parent, not the child, or not one member of the couple, but how these two people are coming together and the way they're coming together. So the idea of doing therapy alone with the child as the main way of working with the child just was just doesn't make sense to me with when you're working with attachment difficulties. Yeah, I would, I would agree a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this has been such a great discussion so far. I'm really interested in as we move, as we uh, continue our conversation next week, really getting more into the different aspects of your model. You have a frame that, that you set up that I know has two parts to it. And one of the beautiful simple ways that you explain some of this model that I really appreciated was there's, there's the playing part and the talking part, you know, we have, we have these two different parts and then you talk about uh, parents and, and some of the types of play that you do. So I am really eager to dialogue and continue this conversation for part two of our episode next week. So thank you for talking so far, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 